It's time for your local weekly analysis, Slow County Public Policy and the Law, with your host, Stu Jenkins. The Union Forever, hurrah, boys, hurrah, down with the traitor. Welcome to Slow County Public Policy and the Law, only at KNews 98.5. I'm your host, Stu Jenkins. On Slow County Public Policy and the Law, I bring you officials, lawyers, and organizations shaping public policy and the law. Last week, I spoke with Andy Pease, City Councilwoman for San Luis Obispo, about changes in policies affecting housing, water supplies, and potential new countywide sales tax for road and transportation costs that is being prepared by the Slow County Council of Governments. Then I spoke with 3rd District Supervisor Dawn Ortiz-Legg about her history of involvement in the transition the county has made toward more green electrical energy production through solar farms and the future of wind turbines with the leasing of federal tradelands 20 miles off of Cambria and San Simeon. If you missed those important policy perspectives, log into the podcast of last week's interview at knews985.com. Then click on the tab for Slow County Public Policy and the Law and scroll down to the latest podcasts. You all may notice that I have a cold, which means my radio voice is even better than ever. Um, Now, recently, I broadcast uh, an interview with Cordelia Perry, Executive Director of the Slow County Builders Exchange. That is a building contractors association. Ms. Perry said the Builders Exchange was lobbying local government to oppose the creation of a project labor agreement with the Trades Council for construction of a South County water treatment and recycling plant named Central Coast Blue. I'm pleased today to present to you Mr. David Baldwin, president of the UA Plumbers, Pipe Fitters, and Refrigeration Fitters Local Union 403. Um, I think, David, we're going to call that the uh, Plumbers and Pipe Fitters Local 403, aren't we? Yes. This is a union that is based right here in San Luis Obispo. Mr. Baldwin uh, grew up in San Luis Obispo County. He started out in the construction trades with the Cement Masons Union and has served on the Mid-State Fair Board for quite a number of years now. I wanted to invite him to talk to you, our K-News listeners, because there is no local labor leader who is more knowledgeable about project labor agreements. For decades, in the face of stiff resistance, David Baldwin has been working to bring the benefits provided by project labor agreements to communities on the Central Coast. Welcome to the show, Dave. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, I'm glad to have you here. And, uh, you know, I always like to start out my interviews with a little more information from my guests about uh, their background and how long they've been here. I, I know, because I've known you for years, that you grew up here. Uh, mm-hmm. wh- where did you start out? Yeah, so, uh, uh, and, and let me correct my title. Um, I am the business manager and business manager. secretary okay. for uh, Local 403. Uh, I don't want to step on the president's toes and S- take his title. Sorry, Mr. President. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, I did. I did grow up in the area. Born and raised here. Got uh, real deep roots here in the county. Uh, and uh, I was uh, fortunate enough to enter into an apprenticeship training program when I was still at Morro Bay High School when I was a kid, actually. And I uh, went through that training program. And uh, since then, I've made my living as a tradesman uh, in the union construction trades. Uh, and, uh, and now for many years on the management side for the union. Well, that's, that's great. And uh, when did you start out? Uh, when did you move over to the pipe fitters? Uh, uh, 2016, I guess that was. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Well, now, um, the, the reason I wanted to talk to you, and I've been, I've been uh, working on the issue of project labor agreements for many years, uh, I, I wanted to have you explain to our listeners just exactly what a project labor agreement is, for starters. Mm-hmm. So, uh, project labor agreements are... Uh, pre-hire agreements that are uh, generally negotiated between a project owner uh, in, the, in the public works arena. That might be a city or a county, uh, sanitation district, something like that. And mm-hmm. uh, the agreement's no- negotiated between them and uh, the building trades. Building Trades Council uh, represents the uh, affiliated craft unions. Um, and when we talk about the craft unions, that's the carpenters and it's the yeah, pipe your fitters, painters, your painters, plumbers, your plasters, okay. teamsters, all the crafts that there's, there's about 14 of them, I believe. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the cement masons. And the cement masons. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So these are the folks who build big projects like roads, bridges, uh, uh, public schools, mm-hmm. um, parks. Yeah. And, uh, and so in, in, uh, and the Trades Council, actually, for this area, is based in uh, Ventura, I believe. Yes, the it the, covers the tri-counties. Okay. Mm-hmm. Ventura, Santa Barbara, San Luis Obispo. Now, as I understand it, and for, for folks who are interested in the law, um, this is actually something that was created in federal law, but it's also uh, mirrored in uh, the California... Uh, uh, we have the... the uh, we actually have a code section, um, and its uh, project labor agreements are section 2500 of the public contract code. We have a whole code on public contracts, folks, mm-hmm. in California. Uh, so any time that a public agency is building something, they actually have to refer to this code. Isn't that right, Dave? Yes, that's correct. And, uh, and the... Um, now, what's the uh, public purpose of a project labor agreement? So, uh, the the agreements are used both public and private, uh, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, uh, even uh, federal, state, uh, but also also private uh, entities use them as well, uh, the builders and developers. But uh, in the public sector, uh, the awarding agencies are are uh, interested in entering into project labor agreements because they uh, help a project owner to bring in a project on time on budget and uh, one of the biggest things the agreements provide is a local workforce and that's where the trade unions uh, come in as far as uh, uh, making sure that local workers aren't left out of the process when we have uh, local especially big infrastructure projects in the public sector and and the uh, the federal uh, codes are designed to spur economic development Mm -hmm. um, by keeping uh, public dollars local so that um, 
when a public agency is building something, uh, they have the ability to require local hire. And is, is that right? Yeah, local hire is a is a big component of these agreements, uh, and it's really the driver behind uh, what the uh, trades are doing, what local folks want. Uh, you know, it it helps to. Uh, make sure, for instance, that uh, we're able to provide uh, career pathways for uh, young folks, young families, kids that come out of our local high schools, out of our local community college, that they have a pathway to a career in the building trades through apprenticeship. So, so it requires that the local kids be hired as apprentices uh, yeah, by, the con- so by the contractor? So the agreements, depending on what the awarding agency, uh, how they want to uh, mm-hmm. craft the language, but yeah, the language can be crafted where they can uh, uh, usually it'll be set uh, in goals as far as for the local hire requirements uh, percentage of workers uh, at journey level or percentage of workers at uh, apprentice level and then there's a whole bunch of other community benefits I guess you would call them that uh, are also regularly uh, crafted into these agreements where they might reach out to at-risk youth or those formerly incarcerated or uh, you know, uh, people w- who are threatened by homelessness, things like that, depending on what the needs are in the in the community at large. Uh, Friday of this week, there was actually a uh, a uh, clinic at the county library for people who have prior convictions in order to mm-hmm. expunge their records so that they can uh, have a better shot at getting jobs, um, and and uh, you know, correcting their lives by making a living uh, in uh, usually in uh, work that is serving other people. That the one thing that uh, I have seen in the literature about project labor agreements is that by having local uh, employees who then go spend the money locally, uh, this actually tends to spur the local economy uh, by two or three times sometimes as high as seven times the amount of money that the public agency is is spending. Um, And and that uh, was the original reason for the federal uh, legislation on these issues. Do do you have any um, uh, current research on how that is working? Uh, Well, I don't have the uh, numbers on the Mm -hmm. uh, circulation of the local dollars, but um, but I do know that uh, a couple agreements that we have actually right now in place, one is for the WERF project with San Luis Obispo City, and the other is the South Sanitation District project, uh, redundancy project, they call it, which have both uh, uh, exceeded their numbers, their goals for local hire, uh-huh. uh, and are, are really doing a, a great job of uh, providing local work for local workers and those apprenticeship pathways that I'm talking about. And th- those pathways, you know, I, it really can't be... Uh, I can't stress that too much of how important uh, I know those are in a, for a local community. And I think now, uh, at, in this day and age, maybe more than ever, uh, we know that uh, it's hard for people to get started. Uh, California is an expensive place to live. You'll, you'll hear a lot of people say that. Um, these middle-wage jobs uh, aren't, aren't, are not only just important for the, the, uh, the government and for the, the the cities or the, or the communities that we live in as a whole, but they're important for people's livelihoods. These, these are how people can maintain a middle-class living. They can take their family out to dinner on occasion. They can afford to buy a home. 
you know, they can afford to buy a car and, and they can support themselves. And, and that's really what's at the heart of these agreements. Mm-hmm. Now, the uh, some of the criticisms that I have heard from those who oppose uh, the project labor agreements is that it, uh, doing so makes the project more expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, is that true? No, there's no uh, real evidence to support that. You know, we, we hear that as a, a common criticism. I mean, it's it's been debunked over the years many times. I mean, construction projects, uh, uh, what we tend to find is, is that uh, under these agreements, community workforce agreements is what we tend to call them, project labor agreements, uh, same, same thing. Uh, we just use different terms. But under these agreements, um, <clears throat> we find that these projects tend to be more efficient because uh, you, the, the agreement is sort of like a, a constitution, I guess, if you will, for the job site. So it sort of gets everybody on the same page. You have better cooperation between uh, the different tiers of contractors on a project, and that tends to make a project more efficient, comes in on time, on budget. And uh, we also have a language in the agreement uh, for uh, the speedy resolution of any disputes on the project. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the other criticism I have heard uh, from those who oppose them is that uh, it discriminates against non-union contractors. And uh, when I look at the statute, I don't see that. Uh, so I don't know if yeah, you have any just, information on that. That's just simply not true. I mean, the, the agreement... Uh, uh, the agreements, they're all very clear that uh, they don't differentiate between the bidders uh, based on their union status or lack thereof. Any contractor that's qualified to do the work is uh, welcome to bid and work on the project, uh, regardless of any union affiliation. And, and the, uh, as I understand it, the hiring uh, of workers, mm-hmm. the, the local hire requirements, uh, when I look at the statutes and the regulations, it does require that the hiring uh, go through the union hall. Um, but it also specifies that uh, the hiring has to be done on a first-come, first-served first first basis if the individual is qualified. Uh, and, and if the individual is non-union, they still have to be given the job. Um, now, how does that work when somebody who's non-union goes into a union hall to get the job? Well, um, so there's specific language in these agreements that calls out what they usually term uh, core employees. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, core employees uh, can be dispatched or brought with uh, an employer who wins a bid on the project. You know, if it's uh, Stu Jenkins Plumbing Company wins the bid and and Stu says, you know, I have uh, Jim and Joe here who've worked for me for 20 years, and I want to bring them with mm-hmm. me on the project. The agreements allow for a certain amount of core employees that an employer can bring with them. Um, and But the other thing to remember, I think, and a lot of folks aren't familiar with this, but our union dispatch offices are already non-discriminatory. So uh, we don't discriminate against anyone based on their union affiliation. There is a union security clause, of course, you know, after a worker gets on a project. But as far as the referral of workers onto a project, it's done in a non-discriminatory way. So they can they can uh, come in and work the job without being a member of the uh, union? They can be referred to the project, and then at a certain time after they're employed, mm-hmm. they would have to make membership. Okay. And um, one, of the, uh, one of the criticisms that... Uh, Ms. Perry uh, indicated mm-hmm. from the uh, 
Builders Exchange was that somehow there were uh, portions of the compensation for the workers on a project labor agreement that got spun off into the union uh, and got taken so that the uh, worker didn't get that. What's your, uh, what's your response to that? So union health and welfare plans, you know, pension plans, uh, mm-hmm. and, and I use the term union loosely, these are plans that are managed by both the employers and the union. Okay. They're not run by the union, even though people commonly refer to them as union plans. Hmm. No money from a union pension or health plan ever flows to a union. Uh, those monies are held in trust for the participants, uh, regardless of their union affiliation. That's just sort of a misconception, I guess, that's out there. And, and you know, I just want to say for Cordelia, you know, I think um, we have unionized contractors that are part of the Contractors Association as well, who are sure. her members, mm-hmm. you know, so I don't think she speaks for every employer because um, we certainly have many that are happy to work under these agreements, uh, union and non-union. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I think that a lot of the um, differences we have are, are more of a lack of uh, understanding or knowledge. And, and I'm convinced, personally, that a lot of employers who oppose these agreements uh, probably have never been explained the full benefits of them. And, and, and I think that's one of, the, uh, one of the nice things about doing a show like this is it gives mm-hmm. me the ability to have people come in and, and uh, give reasoned uh, discussions about how things work. Um, and, uh, you know, it'd be a great thing, I think, if uh, we could arrange for uh, both sides in this particular discussion to come together and kind of have a conference and uh, have some education in both directions. One, one of the uh, things that I asked Ms. Cordelia Perry, and by the way, I, you know, I think she's good, of good integrity mm-hmm. and uh, is reflecting what the organization is suggesting. The, I asked her if there was a distrust uh, created by having the hiring go through the union halls uh, as to whether or not the discrimination uh, that might happen uh, could be monitored and whether or not uh, an organization other than the unions and the Trades Council uh, might be involved in that and, and uh, monitor it. And I, I sensed that that was something nobody had ever thought of. Well, I mean... Is, uh, is there, are I mean, there audits that uh, occur? Yeah, I guess the, the, the first thing to understand is that mm-hmm. uh, trade unions are heavily regulated <laughs> by the, by the okay. federal government, Department of Labor, including our dispatch procedures. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, we, we are uh, on occasion audited um, as our, you know, all, all trade unions are under the authority of the Department of Labor. Okay. Well, that's a federal department. And mm-hmm. uh, how far away are they? Well, um, uh, I, I, I don't know where the nearest office is. I guess it's probably in Los Angeles or the Bay Area. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I will say that um, we, are, we are closely monitored, uh, uh, not only by the DOL, but also in the filings that we have to make. Uh, periodically as, as part of a, being a labor organization. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we feel very confident in the uh, non-discriminatory dispatch. And, and uh, how many, <clears throat> when you say that the projects come in uh, under budget, um, 
I did notice you sent me some surveys, and for instance, there was one study done that uh, showed that non-PLA um, housing projects that had been built were no more expensive than PLA housing projects mm -hmm. that had been built, and these were studies that were done by credible folks. Um, are, are there other kinds of um, coordination that happens between the uh, various unions and the contractors that uh, cause the uh, projects to be built more quickly? Well, it's difficult to, to quantify some of the benefits. And I mean, you know, I can't sit here and tell you that uh, every project under a community workforce agreement is going to come in under budget. You know, there's too many variables mm -hmm. in, a, in the industry to, to mm -hmm. make those kind of claims. But I can tell you that statistically, we see that these uh, projects tend to come in on time and on budget uh, more often than not uh, when they when they utilize these agreements because, like I was mentioning earlier, that uh, they capture a lot of efficiencies. The other thing is you, you have a workforce that I believe is more heavily invested in the project. Mm -hmm. When the workers live there and they're working in their own backyard on a project that they'll probably drive by for the next 20 or 30 years or show their kids when they're when they're taking them to school that they worked on that school or that government building or that bridge i think there's more ownership in a project and i think that tends to uh, uh, end up in a project that comes in uh, on time on budget and also of a higher quality well and it may it certainly makes sense that if there's a uh, road being constructed in arroyo grande that the uh, folks who know how to do paving in Arroyo Grande ought to be the ones uh, building that road. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, the, the, the one thing that I did notice in the uh, PLA for the city of San Luis Obispo for the water uh, treatment plant uh, was that it, at, uh, as far as I could tell, it gave the same status um, or ability to work on the project to someone from Ventura as it did to someone from the city of San Luis Obispo. Am I am I wrong about that? It's a tiered system, so okay. uh, Ventura would probably be like a tier three. Okay. Uh, whereas uh, I, I don't remember the exact setup on the tiers, but I want to. I, I believe it was San Luis City was probably tier one, the county was probably uh, tier two. You know, so it so it goes out to concentric circles, and of course the idea is to exhaust all the workers that you can locally before you go out outside the area. That's that's good. Folks, you're listening to Slow County Public Policy and the Law uh, here on KNews 98.5. We are speaking with David Baldwin, the business manager of the UA Plumbers, Pipefitters, and Refrigeration Fitters Local 403. Stay tuned. We'll be back right after this news break.